No, he he talks about like he'll talk about animals for hours. Like he'll he'll just talk about predatory birds and that's fucking okay. I don't remember like every time I I come across a kid mm-hmm. who who knows who they are and yeah. is so like. Do you ever remember being like that? Like no. the close. <laughs> I know. Like I was so much like don't ever be. St- super into one thing because people think you're weird kind of thing right and as an adult now i'm like fuck man if i if i had followed my passions Shit. i would have been a fucking archaeologist because i was yeah i was obsessed with mummies but like talking about dead like crusty people preserved yeah. in burials and stuff when you're a kid it's like now nah, people are gonna think i'm weird turn people off <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like yeah. scholastic book fairs people are like i'm book of michael jordan photos and i'm like mm-hmm. i'm buying this book of uh, uh dead egyptian people i have that realization every now and then where it's just like man if, if i had just if i had just realized that everyone in high school like was just as like freaked out about yeah about listless uh, and weird as me yeah i i would i would have just talked to them the way I would expect anyone to talk to me and I would have like made a lot, I would have, I would have had a lot more friends, yep. you know, and it's not so much that I regret not making friends with those people. It's more like, I regret that I didn't even try, <laughs> you know, if you lived out loud a little more, like if your niche interests had been more on the surface, like what other things would have gravitated your way that yeah. fit your personality perfectly yep. instead it's of everything a- else in life, which is like a series of compromises and, you know, yeah. Uh, I basically like enough people said, wow, you draw good. And I'm like, I guess I do that for the rest of my yeah, life. Now. I'll, just, I'll just be my job. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. My life is set. Yeah, exactly. talk about prey tonight uh dustin had to drop out so we are going to wait on that and wait till he is available to talk about it recently i was telling him i was like you know we ought to do sometimes like we'll do we'll talk about stuff on the show and it'll be something that one of us has seen and the other hasn't and or we'll do like a series of things that we don't have much to say about and so like recently i told him like you know we should we should like you know use the opening of each show as like an opportunity to just give a quick recommendation uh if it's not like the main thing we're talking about uh so we are going to talk about prey but i will make that my quick recommendation for the top of the show today it's like just to just in case people want to know real quick like if if either if any of us you know think it's worth it uh it's yeah you should see it uh it's it's on hulu um it's worth checking out and uh and we're going to talk about it soon i second the uh watching of prey yeah um my pessimistic side says uh it is a good film Mm -hmm. it is a great predator film Mm. okay in a series full of absolute shit terrible movies (laughs) um it is bizarrely good in that context but outside that context it is an overall good film Mm mm-hmm and then we can talk about that later. Yeah, it's a little, little, yeah, little tease. Okay, yeah, that's pray. Um, okay, so, uh, so we're going to talk about very different movies than Prey uh, tonight. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the Northmen. Um, so like I, every now and then when I'm watching stuff, I am constantly on the lookout for like which of my friends have also seen this movie because it just 
it just helps me figure out who who's going to be able to relate to the experience of watching it. And so, so in anticipation for The Northman, I knew The Northman was coming out and it was in theaters at the time where I was like, okay, I haven't seen any of Robert Eggers' movies and I'm trying to jump on these newer directors sooner mm-hmm. so that I don't have to like go back through their filmography in 15 years and binge all their work, their entire oeuvre to, to catch up for some yeah, like, bigger film that they've done. It's, it's one of those things as like, you know, as, as movie people where you go and we've talked about this on the show before where you go like, do I have to be expected to, to have seen all of like, you know, Ridley Scott's movies um, to be considered, you know what I mean? Like, or, or uh, to, for your, for your, uh, critique to be valid, you know, right. like, like, do yeah. I need to have seen yeah. everything or is it okay that like, I've only seen what has been made since my birth and the things I'm interested in that predate that. Yeah. Like, and, and I feel like that's unfairly weighted on, uh, like these auteur directors who yeah. come out of nowhere, like the Ari Asters and the David Eggers and all these things like that, who come out of the gates just with fucking like fire content you mm-hmm. know yeah From, yeah or as, as far as my opinion goes but yeah and it's so it's it's easier with those people where it's like okay they have they have less on their plate so you can you can get on the train early mm-hmm. like it, with all these things like i think dustin's uh, analogy was it's not like we're gonna like be 65 and we're gonna be like yelling at 20 year olds like why haven't you seen john wick you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. we're not going to expect people like the same reason why if someone tells me like, why haven't you read it? It's like, because I'm 33. That's why I haven't read it. The movie came out, the, that book came out in like the seventies. Like I can't read all of Stephen King's books. I don't have that kind of time. And, and for those of us who have dipped back and watched the, the extended series or whatever, mm-hmm. that's, that shit does not hold up. I'm sorry. The, the, the it this- series. Oh, it's terrible. It's easy to get on board with Robert Eggers movies and Ari Aster's films because, you know, we are of the age where watching movies is, are the movies are accessible to us. They are to anybody who is above the age of, you know, 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easy as, as time goes on to, to get on the train and catch up and not feel like, oh, you know, not have to wait till whatever year to go, man, you know, who's a, who's really proven themselves over, you know, the, two decades Ari Aster and then you go okay I guess I'll go watch all his movies you know I'll spend two months watching all his films and thinking about them and it's a lot easier to do that do now when they have three of them right right exactly <laughs> so so Robert Eggers was one of those where I was like okay his third one's coming out I'd heard about I'd heard people say I'd heard people talk about the witch I had all this data like okay for the past seven years I've heard that the witch is good because at the time people were making fun of it because it was the Vivitch with you know the, the you know <laughs> the, the stylization yeah of the, the stylization title. of the title somehow made some, some somehow meant the that this horror movie was schlocky and dumb, but I all I'd heard since then was like no it's pretty cool and then the lighthouse came out and then people I, I misremembered Dustin's review because after I watched it I went back and listened to Dustin's review on our show okay because I thought he had said he loved it. He, he did not say that. <laughs> uh, so I haven't seen The Lighthouse. I uh, wouldn't. To, to qualify. Well, okay. Um, and that actually blows the conversation even wider because I feel like when you have the A24 conversation. Yeah. That's just an immediately polarizing thing. And one of the things I wanted to talk about mm-hmm. is that with the with the um, era of like A24 isn't the only kind of like it, Okay, indie is a is a label that's lost all meaning because they're by no means independent. 
It's a, it's literally it means it's a smaller shop that has less money to throw around, and when they do, they go a little bit more niche with niche with it niche mm-hmm. niche. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I kind of I make a lot of allowances for that because like when it comes to like my music taste and stuff like that. I I feel like when somebody puts less money towards something that isn't going to hit as broad an audience, it means it's going to hit really strongly with a certain amount of people and fall flat with a lot of other ones. And that can't work in a normal studio pipeline where it's maximizing profit, maximizing appeal and stuff. So when it comes to A24 films, when I have conversations with friends, literally about to have this about um, uh, about uh, The Northman is you either get people that really like it, some people who haven't heard of it, or some people who saw it and fucking hated it. And I I actually think that that's a more effective type of film because it means it knows what it is and it isn't trying to pander to everybody. So the A24 conversation and even more within that, the microcosm of like the David Eggers films Mm -hmm. is a really interesting conversation to me. And it actually, I feel like a failure because I haven't seen... um, the lighthouse but i i love the witch so um sorry kick it kick it back to you that's my kind of like overall spectrum feeling on the a24 kind of thing because i have so many friends that are like i can't stand a24 i saw the preview and it said a24 i'm not gonna see it boy i i feel the opposite i love a24 like a24 to me means like oh this is worth seeing like it's at least going to be novel even if i don't like it yeah like the odds are I will like this probably or be glad I saw it. Yeah. Um, I never saw lamb, but I saw the trailer for it and I was like, this is the most a 24 film trailer really, I have ever seen. Yeah, it felt like a fake trailer for an a 24. It, it, it did. And so I'm wondering if they're going to like jump the shark and like a 24 yeah. just becomes like, if you think it's an a 24 film, yeah. it's an a 24. Yeah. Film. Well, it's, it goes back to what you're, we were saying at the beginning of the show before we, before we start recording about, about my son and about how we, how, when we were kids, like, you know, knowing who you were or knowing or being so proud of your interests so early isn't a concept that is that, that I remember. Um, yep. my son is six and he's really into animals and he'll talk to strangers about it. And it's like, I, I feel like I wouldn't have, but I, I, I either, that either absolutely happens when you're that young uh, and you just don't remember it or it's a newer thing and kids are just more confident now. I don't know. I think it's it's also encouragement too. I, uh, you know, sure. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know I remember being super weird as a kid and, uh, I'm hoping, and I'm just maybe not remembering that my parents were like, I love that my kid is a freaking weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, Hey, like that person doesn't want to hear about all that. And then you're like, Oh, I can't, if, if I can't be the one who puts this light out, you know, you're like, Oh, I can't go up to people and, and talk to them about yeah, like plank, plankton and whale baleen. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't want him to be like, yeah, well I used to be really into animals. Then one day my dad told me to stop talking about it. And I did. Forever. <laughs> it's like, then the cats in the cradle in the silver But this movie, this movie and others like it are, are, are similar in that way where it's like, there's two kinds of movies and both of which I enjoy. There's mass appeal, you know, blockbuster entertainment with very straightforward story structure um, and, you know, easily digestible themes and universal themes that are much more commercial and uh, easy, easier to sell um, and to, and to, and to share and to talk to people about. 
and I love those. I, I love genre films. I've, I always, yeah, you know, I grew up watching TBS and, you know, action movies and stuff. So like I'm, I'm, that's my, that's my thing. The uh, TBS edits of, uh, of, um, Blade. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh, Blade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Blade, Lethal Weapon, that stuff then, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the other side of that coin is movies where it's like, yeah, it's going to be, um, this is going to be a little, this is going to be not that, uh, this is going to be different. We're going to challenge some stuff like that. There's, I love the two sides of film. Now the lighthouse for me is way too over into, it reminded, I was talking to Dustin about, it's like, it reminded me a lot of film school where like, there's a whole lot of like, look at the symbolism I know. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and we're going to defy structure. I'm like, yeah, but like that film was so incomprehensible and boring and, I, I did not like the lighthouse <laughs> at all. Really. So I haven't seen it. I haven't yeah. seen it. But as soon as somebody makes a, a decision on four, three ratio, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you, That's a choice. you better yeah. fucking own that. And mm-hmm. it better make sense. It, if yeah. it's just a thing that makes people go, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's uh different. Like I think a 20, a 24 had a movie that was like, I saw a trailer was like ghost or something like that. And there was another four, three ratio thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is dripping with the, uh, the shit that a 24 gets a bad rap for that. I try to like gloss over when I tell people to watch this film by a 20, you know, produced by a 24. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a, a commercial example of that would be the Snyder cut. The justice league Snyder cut was in four, three, I don't like four, three. I, I just, I just, as an aspect ratio, it just, it, it's, it's inferior. It's like this, we had it because TVs were shaped that way and then they weren't. And then like, I've never seen it used in a way that felt motivated or where I went, Oh yeah, this should have been four, three. So, if so you want to fill the frame, shoot it in IMAX, take away the letter boxes. That's fine. But seeing yeah. pillar boxed video, just as an editor for me it's like no no yeah so i have a visceral response against it because you know i i do i do animation work so i do a lot of storyboarding and yeah basically i mean every time i come on here and i talk about what i do i'm like i feel like a phony when i say i work in film because <laughs> i i know that animation is film yes um but filmmakers would like be like eh, get this fucking cartoon nerd out of here <laughs> Um, filmmakers don't listen to my show. It's okay. <laughs> so, so I have a visceral except response for the ones four, that come on it, like you. <laughs> I get, I get, I have a visceral response against four three because I, it's super restrictive. Um, I would love to work in CinemaScope all the time. I never, I always have to work in sixty nine. Just mm-hmm. that's the nature of yeah. the output that we we tend to get. It's you know something that is going to be displayed on a home television yeah. or an, uh, a YouTube screen or something. 60 by like nine or, or two one. Like they're even saying like the, the, the Netflix aspect ratio to it, it's literally just two one. Oh like wow. It's, yeah. Okay. It's because that's, that's televisions. Oh, so 69 is 69 is still is a little still bit letterboxed. letterboxed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, a, but like your TV is two one basically. Yeah. The, the, but then before the, the era of television, you do have, film that was before that like i've seen like a an original pressing of um maybe it's not original pressing i'm about to sound like a complete dipshit <laughs> i did see an extremely old film reel of um the wizard of oz mm-hmm. that was almost square i so I, I don't know the historic precedent for it something similar to that ratio does predate television and the onset of television and stuff like that so it's it's a weird thing when you, when people of our age watch it because you go this just feels restrictive 
before the age where our televisions matched what we could get in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's such a thin difference between what you see in a theater and what you can get at home. You know, like on, right. honestly, the the audio experience is the big difference between theaters. So when you go to a right. big bombastic uh, uh, blockbuster, you like to see it in theaters because you get the big fucking like audio experience. And when I'm at home and I just have a sound bar and I haven't invested <laughs> yeah. in a in a Dolby fucking surround system yeah. kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm still seeing it in great quality on my nice 4k tv but i'm missing the audio experience so yes this is a long roundabout way of saying four three real weird decision so um (laughs) if i go and watch the lighthouse i'm gonna have to get over that well for not only four three or four three in black and white Mm -hmm. and and so robert eggers has a style even though he's made three you know pretty different films he's he's a history nerd he's very into historical accuracy with his movies and particularly dialogue. He really likes like in the witch, like that, that dialogue is pretty unique. And if you're not watching with subtitles, it, it sometimes it's hard to yeah, yeah. understand what they're saying. The lighthouse even more so. Cause there's like, these are two longshoremen from, from God knows where the hell they are even from. Are they in Maine? I don't remember. But they're also drunk. They're From drunk. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I couldn't place Robert Pattinson's accent. It was all over the place. Uh, Willem Dafoe, you know, Willem is he Dafoe. English or is he, is he American? Uh, Robert Pattinson is, is Brit. Yeah. He's a Brit. Okay. Um, and, uh, Willem Dafoe is an alien. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and then in, in the Northmen, someone pointed out like this, dialogue is a lot more straightforward and that probably was at the insistence of whoever like universal or whoever was was gonna distribute the, I, don't, I don't know when the distribution deal came together but like that would imply in in the writing stage but you know there, there's also the aspect of it that the other two films were of english language like yeah old, old english yeah yeah um yeah. and then this one is obviously not it would be norse so yeah so, it, you know, th- so the Northman of his movies does feel the most contemporary. Its story structure is a, is a little more straightforward, although the, the, the witch was pretty good with structure. I thought it was perfectly structured. Um, <clears throat> the Northman is very traditionally structured uh, as well. And, and it, the, the story of it is very simple. It's a, it's a revenge story. And, you know, it's one of those if I think Red Letter Media said something like, you know, it's, it, you know, the the mainstream equivalent of the Northman is something like Braveheart, like a crowd pleaser, like straightforward, you know, uh, revenge on a person who who killed someone dear to me. And uh, but we're gonna make we're gonna have jokes, we're gonna be lively. It's gonna be pretty lighthearted. It'll be brutal in some spots, but it's never gonna be too heavy. Um, and it's gonna be a crowd pleaser. And the Northman is a lot more like we're gonna go through some similar beats, but we're gonna execute every scene pretty differently. We're going to have long takes. We're going to have, you know, we're not going to have as many battle sequences. Um, and we're going to have, you know, a lot more ups and downs for the character. What I think is nice about Eggers three films. I mean, it's, it's hard to hoist this much pressure on someone in this early stage of their career kind of thing. But like what I will say about Northman is that if you basically take his breadth of work as a kind of a spectrum. This is his blockbuster film, but 
that's on the in the context of his films in general, <laughs> not right. in the in the context of what a blockbuster film is, yeah. is in the wide uh, uh, market. And that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about, but I don't want to uh, cut past what you might be talking about. And it's the way that the film was marketed. Um, I didn't see the marketing, so I don't know anything about this. Okay, so I am not so in tune to film as as you and Dustin. I I, I consume it. I have directors that I like in in terms of like the layperson's understanding of film. I definitely think that I have a heightened level of it. But mm-hmm. you and Dustin are obviously on a completely different level than me. I consume what I can consume, yeah. but I don't dive so deeply into it beyond like I like the way this looks and I like the shot. Blah, 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 blah. So yeah. when it comes to the way that this was fit, was marketed, I didn't even know that this was from the same director as The, the Witch, Witch or yeah. The Lighthouse. What they marketed this as, and it's I don't know if this was a a new attempt by A24 or they, they put so much money in, into this movie that they had to the follow. I the A24 is, are they even uh, affiliated with this movie? They're not, a, this is an A24? I don't believe this is an A24 movie. Then what, oh my God, but, why did I? But the, the next one we're talking about is, isn't it? Is everywhere, hold on a second, that, that, that better be true. Hold on. Because <laughs> we might have just spent a lot of time talking about A24 without <laughs> no, it no, being right. A, A24 is everything, everything every, yeah, the, the, our, the next movie is an A24 film. So who, that, who, who produced this? This was produced by uh, Regency Enterprises, New Regency, Square Peg, uh, and Perfect World. Okay, now correct me. Who was involved with The Witch and The Lighthouse? Yeah, those those were both A twenty four. This is this is the first of his okay. movies that is not an A twenty four. So you might have to do some creative editing with with the way that we've talked about this and broken it down. Well, but, it, it's it's relevant. I mean, like it it, it it's it's very. I'm surprised it was an A twenty four, and I, and and I think there's only a, the only thing that feels maybe like it's not an A twenty four movie is like the budget, the budget, and maybe the action elements. Mm-hmm. I can't think of an A twenty four film that had like yeah action set pieces you know and, and i guess that's worth bringing up because it, that revelation explains why i think the marketing for this movie was so bizarre mm-hmm. um so so seeing the the marketing for this they definitely cut a trailer um and and basically sold it as not not a historically accurate but like a gritty like um everybody's in, i haven't watched it but everybody's in love with that like vikings netflix show or whatever it's called like it yeah. they 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 market it as a sort of gritty like you know mm-hmm. viking story sort of thing and then as soon as i fired it up i was like this is straight up mythology this is yeah this is mythology and i and i was pleasantly surprised in that way but i honestly think they they marketed this movie so poorly um, to the point where it didn't capture the people that would actually want to see it. Right. Right. And it also didn't capture the people that would want to go see some big, dumb, boisterous thing. Yeah. And that's, yeah. you know, and we haven't talked about how it was a critic or not a critical failure, but a, uh, performance it, failure. It was, it, it, it was like a, it says 70 to $90 million budget, but it has only made $69 million. And I, yes. I mean, I watched it on Peacock. Like I didn't even watch it in theaters because universal has a 45 day deal now with, mm-hmm. with their movies to go to Peacock, which again, I've talked about how, especially with movies like this, that's probably a good thing. Cause it's, they're going to fall off after 45 days in theaters anyways. So it's a smart move to where if you want people like me to watch the Northmen, yeah, you got to make it available somewhere relatively quickly. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, 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 that, that, that strategy turns out hasn't panned out. Meanwhile, you know, everything everywhere all at once in a 24 movie with a budget of $25 million and, you know, is a lot more popular and, and well heard of has made a hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, word of mouth being what it is, blah, blah, blah. blah. I, I honestly think it was a, it was a creative stretch for Eggers as a filmmaker. Not that he didn't do it successfully. It's that it didn't play to his strengths that people had already been following him for, mm-hmm. which I'm always going to want somebody to branch out and, and expand their kind of uh, skill set and everything like that. But I, I just feel like they wanted to make it a blockbuster. But when you watch it, you're like, no, 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 this is still highly allegorical film very steeped in mythology and like certain, you know, film nerds are going to love it. And then people who think they're getting, you know, you were saying Braveheart is a, is a related thing. Like I don't even think that it's on the mass appeal level of Braveheart and it's really just going to upset people and then they will not recommend it. And it's, I think it makes sense that it didn't make the money, but I don't think that has anything to do with the quality of the film. And his strengths are technical to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Production design on all these movies is great. Um, the, you know, the attention to detail of the setting, very cool. Um, performances in this movie, along with the lighthouse and and the witch are all really great. Like I don't watch his movies and go, cause you know how like every now and then, like, uh, you know, even, even like great directors, like, like Scorsese or Spielberg or someone, they'll have like some bit role. That's just like, Garbage. this person's not a good actor. Like, why is yeah. it? Why? What is this? And it, it doesn't really matter, but you, you do notice it. You know, like he, his, his actors are all, you know, pretty unconventional looking, except for Nicole Kidman. Um, but, you know, but like, <laughs> um, but there's a sense of authenticity to the stories because we are casting people and getting performances out of them that feel authentic to this setting. Like, I don't look at Alexander Skarsgård and go, he's not a Norse warrior. Like, his fucking name is Skarsgård. <laughs> like, <laughs> and when and when he's screaming and that like yeah. Viking mosh yeah. pit around the yeah. fire. Yeah, and his like, eyes are rolling back. I was like, that well. That scene, I was just like. <laughs> shit my pants. They're, this is Berserkers. This <laughs> yeah. is like, I get it. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or the fact that like, you know, even his musculature, it's like, I'm glad he doesn't have giant pecs because people don't really have giant pecs back in these Unless days. Unless they specifically want to have giant pecs. Right. Pecs, or- pecs are show muscles. They're not function muscles. And, you know, the fact that he has like a stacked back and shoulders, it's like, Okay, that's that's good. Um, not like a big veiny bicep, you know, like it's so obvious. <laughs> he, he's been, not doing the 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 predator uh, uh, <laughs> Arnold five. with Carl Weathers bicep uh, yeah, exactly. high five thing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so, but but with those strengths that that he has, there are weaknesses. You know, like pace can be an issue for Robert Eggers. Um, you know, in in the White House, he was way too focused on sort of flexing like his interest in mythology to where it was both super obvious and like it, it would just, it, there was no flow to the movie. Um, so, you know, when, when the stories, when the movies have a plot, like the Northman and the light and, uh, uh, the witch I'm engaged because it's like, okay, somebody wrote a story mm-hmm. and this auteur is, is artfully executing it. Yeah. The lighthouse and- felt like it had no story so it's like artful is great, but like I was sitting through the lighthouse the whole time. I'm like, what the fuck is the point of this? Is yeah. something going to happen? And even when it does, you're like, eh, okay, God, it's like 1115. Like, wait, <laughs> come on now. Like, you know, 
Come on. Wow, what is uh, this? I, so I haven't seen it, but what I can say is that what I think speaks to what you're talking about is that if I if I dial if I talk about like what the plot of the witch is and what the plot of the Northman is, it is super simple. So it does give him a right. lot of room to play with characterization, yes. uh, character interaction, stuff like that. You're not bogged down with well, inherently with the Northman, you do have a lot of lore. Yeah. But you also can bring some to it if you know shit. It's about pretty it. straightforward. Like yeah. you know, he 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 goes. He fights. He has that you know maybe fake, maybe real fight with like the 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 um you know Indiana Jones night Indiana Jones oh, Jones the, the, de- the, the, the dead guy to get yeah. the sword. It's like okay, there's a bunch of mythology in that scene. But if you don't know what's going on, you yeah. at least know he's got to fight the guy to get the sword. And I have to assume. I have to assume somebody watching this film knows what a Valkyrie is. Mm. Like. That that scene where the Valkyrie is riding him into the sky kind oh, of thing. Oh, into Valhalla, yeah. I'm like, I have to assume that people know what this is. They like it wasn't spelled out in the film, but if you know anything about Norse mythology, you know mm-hmm. what a Valkyrie is, kind of thing. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm I like it when anybody trusts me to know what the heck I'm looking at. Well, it's it's a it's a big light in the sky. Even if you don't know what a Valkyrie is, the fact and, that he's if looking you've at seen the screen. Any imagery about the gates of heaven, you know <laughs> that type of shit, yeah. like. It's all the same. Like, you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So can we talk about Nicole Kidman? Because because yes. it was pointed out by many people that that veil of authenticity is totally broken when you cast a very well-known actress who has had Obviously cosmetic surgery, had cosmetic surgery. Yes. Yeah. As as you know, a even even as a former, you know, royalty like this is the. What year is it? It's like 16. No, wait. No, no, no. This oh, is like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry. I was, or I, was, I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of Prey. This is 895 oh, uh, okay. AD. Uh, so, s- certainly not, nothing like that exists. And it, and it really bums me out. And I, I it, we obviously done, haven't done a lot of like setting up and explaining who these characters are. I don't, I don't know how much you guys want to do this on the podcast kind of thing. It but depends. <laughs> for anybody who's listening to this who hasn't mm-hmm. watched the Northman, we've already spoiled a ton of it, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Nicole Kidman plays. We haven't it, explained it, the film, but we have spoiled it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so the, the whole story is about this this kid who who's a king father, basically a, a, a king of a small a king of a small island. That's really yeah, it, it's an island. Yeah, it's it's a it's an island, it's an, an island nation uh, of the Norse culture yeah and uh he is basically not orphaned but his dad his father gets killed and mm-hmm. they're going to kill him because his his uncle overthrows yeah. his father usurps the throne takes his mother as yeah. his wife and wants him killed so he escapes and he grows mm-hmm. up uh as a berserker in a viking uh um, um see like basically siege group who just yeah. overthrow people and all this stuff in the village his whole thing is he's always reciting uh, who he's going to kill and get revenge yeah. on. And uh, everything leads up to him finally meeting his mother again. Mm-hmm. And um, the the dismay that Nicole Kidman brings to this role is that you look at her face and you just go, you are not someone that exists in 800, you know, AD. Yeah. This is Nicole Kidman, actress. But, but what really sucks is that I if I if you could just blur her face out or replace you know deep fake it with somebody who didn't look like her, <laughs> I loved her performance because that scene where he thinks he's he's talking to his mother, his long lost mother who is 
who has been basically waiting for him to rescue her. Waiting for him to rescue who, yeah. who's, who's lived under the, the rule of this uh, um, uncle of his who has taken her as a wife. Mm-hmm. And you think it's going to be some uh, um, big release, some sort of um, catharsis. Mm-hmm. She essentially sees the chaos he's bringing to the situation and uh, uh, forsakes him mm-hmm. to his face in a horribly brutal way and it's so effective yeah it is yeah it's such a good scene but then you're looking at her face the whole time and going why did they cast nicole kidman yeah her performance is great but her face is just all wrong also because you know this is supposed to be mother and son and uh someone pointed out that these two have played husband and wife in a in a recent uh property yeah like in big little lies or something like oh no those two are like there's i don't know if if it's a brief scene or if he has like a small role but like there's a there's a shot like at a dinner table with the two of them and, and they are they're playing husband and wife. <laughs> I have to look up. OK, Nicole Kidman is 55. Uh huh. I think he's like 43. Alexander Skarsgård, right? I'm gonna go 43. Alexander Skarsgård is 45. So oh. they're only 10 years apart. Yeah. And oh, yeah. So I mean, whatever casting it, it's, you know, it's it, it wouldn't be the first movie, but like. It that kind of stuff that, that sticks feels, out and stuff like this that feels okay. So we were talking about my big surprise that this wasn't an A twenty four film. Mm-hmm. That feels like the most bigger studio intrusive on yeah. casting situation. Yeah, and that's just me surmising from that. Yeah, uh, evidence. I don't know that for a fact, but no, but it feels that way. Like the, it, it, you, you either go okay. Robert Eggers is a huge fan of Cole Kidman inexplicably. Or, you know, or someone told him you need a name in this. You need that a name is an this. Ethan Hawke who dies in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's really good. It was one of those movies where like, you know, as soon as we get 10 minutes in and we're in a cave, um, half naked, barking on all fours and pretending to be yeah, dogs. dogs. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, this is going to be uh, interesting. I suppose I, I fucking loved it. That was so I was talking about how what I thought I was getting into was a North mythology blockbuster. Uh-huh. And as soon as they're in a cave with um with Willem, Willem Dafoe, Dafoe yeah. barking at each other, I was like, yeah. oh, shit, this is going to get weird. I'm so into it. God, I, I was I, I mean, a good thing I wasn't drinking this CBD matcha at the time. I would have been tripping balls watching it like. <laughs> You are the wolf. And like, oh, I am the wolf. <laughs> it would have yeah, been so I, weird. I loved it. I was like, oh, let's get weird. Well, I don't really have too much more to say about the Northman, to be honest, except I, I, I it was a unique experience. Like I gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was I thought it was more than fine. It's just one of those movies where it does get slow in parts, but it's still satisfying enough, like on a on a on like a basic level to where like I think most I, this could be a gateway into more not obscure but more auteur less conventional films like i do think that if if you are wanting to sort of and i don't know what who this demographic is but like if you if you enjoy blockbusters or tentpole movies uh with basic plot structure and themes and you just want to see something a little bit more special that, you know, but it's not too overwhelming. Like don't watch the lighthouse, watch the witch, watch the Northmen. Um, those are good gateways into, um, the story is going to be simple. The beats will be familiar. Uh, but we're going to, we're going to shoot things in a way that you're less used to, or we're going to commit to authenticity. So this won't feel as high and low, 
emotionally mm-hmm. as as like a, a some other historical epic by some other director but it might it might kind of digest better because we're going to we're going to keep the feeling a little more consistent like you're not going to yeah. you're not going to love this movie but after but during it you're going to go huh yeah um, and, and that's and it's weird to say that because like sometimes the more satisfying art is not the stuff that leaves a big emotional impression it's the stuff that kind of over time you just go no that was good i liked looking at that and i keep revisiting it you know yeah like, yeah i don't I, know i'm much more superficial when i watch films um, yes. because i'm looking for shit that i i like to look at yeah and that's mostly because that's the type of stuff i need to digest and put into my visual lexicon with what I bring to what I do for my, my living. I need stuff I can, I want to watch again. Yeah. That's the thing. That's what I need. And I'm less of a person that rewatches shit. I I rewatch shit that the the stuff that I rewatch is like, I rewatch Sarah forgetting Sarah Marshall every two months. Like that's, you know, that type of stuff. So, but, um, but I was also on Hulu right now, by the way, I, I do think that you're on the right track is that, is that it was marketed as a, as a, you know, blockbuster action film and i do think that's what this is as far as this director's repertoire um but what i would say is that the the and you know i i every time i'm on hoopercast i feel like i'm talking about the you know marvelization of of film media these days what i don't think it has is that jot list of what it needs to like this is the recipe of what a film is and Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have the uh, throw in a joke every five minutes that like yeah. adds levity to something so it's not so dour this is a dour ass film like it is it's dour like i love that though i i if, loved that there was like zero humor in it i was like yes yeah. let's if let's stay down not, here <laughs> if you're not the type of person that goes into a film going i don't know exactly what to expect but what it gives me i'm gonna be in it yeah if you're the type that like needs to be lifted out of something with like these very methodical beats of, of shit to remind you that you're watching a fun movie and you pay $15 so that you can like be entertained while you're chomping on popcorn. Like, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Um, (laughs) but I think of this director's films, this is the one that's going to get people because, uh, for as unsuccessful as it was, the friends of mine that, that didn't like the witch and didn't like the lighthouse, which I still haven't seen. And I probably should go watch immediately after we do this. Um, they watched it and said that they enjoyed it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, at least that's a small victory. But Well, I certainly enjoyed it after the lighthouse, that's for sure. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no. yeah. And also, looking back on it, I remember not being upset by the runtime, and I just checked it, it is two hours and 17 minutes. Yeah. I, I'm forever a fan of a 90-minute film. Yes. Uh, we aren't talking about Prey Tonight. That is a 100-minute film, mm-hmm. and I loved it for I, that. Yes. Um, and The Northman, I remember at the end of it, I – my my inkling was that just barely ran over as long as i wanted it to be and in in a slew yeah. of uh two and a half hour to three hour movies that have been coming out lately um i will take a two hour and 17 minute film uh, so yeah i i, I was kind of dozing off toward you know toward the end of the the film but like i have to as i said on the last episode like i have to grade on a curve because i i don't i don't i'm awake a lot so, you know, like I, I, by the time I'm done watching the Northman on a Friday night after my work week, you know, it's, it's 1130. I've been awake for 20 hours. Like I'm, and I'm watching a war, a, a movie that has very little dialogue in the third act. It's two hours and 17 minutes long. Yeah. And you know, 
if you don't come into it into it with energy and they don't give yeah. you energy, that's yeah. Oh yeah, I, I drink coffee on Friday nights when I watch these movies. Like I'll drink two cups of coffee and like snack the entire time. Like I'll just eat vegetables like the whole time. I'm just like trying to stay awake. Um, so you know, and so for me to say that it's like, but a perfectly alert person who's paying attention, like, will it'll keep their you know. Where you said you gave it a three and a half. I gave it three and a half. I, I thought it deserved more than a, than a mid grade score. It, it's not just fine. It's like this, this does elevate it, but the, again, the elevations are technical. So if, if you have a high bar for, for, um, pace and, um, maybe a little bit more elements in your screenplay, like me, you know, you will start to scrutinize technical stuff because you're yeah. like, all right, the story is kind of losing me a little bit. Let me, let me, let me pay attention to the shot design Oh, at least that's good. Yeah. But you know, if it, everyone's got their focus, you know, I, 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 I would like to lean towards four and a half, but I would lean, I would say four, mm-hmm. uh, okay. for me. Um, if we're talking, like, I generally think story-wise, uh, uh, depiction of mythology, mythology, the vision, overall vision, you know, from Eggers for it, I, I really appreciated it. Um. I do think visually there were some shortcomings. I really didn't like the day for night stuff. Like it wasn't egregious and bad. And, you know, it, it just felt like it was taking it in a direction that I just disagreed with. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Like a lot of the stuff the the nighttime scenes mm-hmm. were, were kind of overly stylized. There was also a, a sex scene or a, yeah, a sex scene between him and Anya Taylor joys um, character mm-hmm. that was, like super overly monochromatic and uh, it, there was just a lot of oh, like a lot the, oh, like the color maybe the color grade yeah and the way they captured it and just yeah general monochromatic nature of things i i disagreed with it mm-hmm. but it was obviously very intentionally chosen rather than um shortcomings visually mm-hmm. that i just like i, I didn't prefer that so if we are being nitty-gritty about it visually i really liked it but i didn't like a lot of the um uh nighttime or you know darkness lower level low lower light level scene right but at the same time like i i that to me is like that does satisfy that side of the coin for me of like this movie was shot on location like you know they're Mm -hmm. they're in ireland they're not in front of an led wall you know on on the the lucasfilm light they're not in the volume yeah they're not in the volume (laughs) with john favreau which everybody's shitting on that like a year after everybody praised it and i'm like y'all need to get your story straight because last year was the volumes the next amazing thing and now it's like thank god uh uh andor isn't shot on the volume like get just decide the 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 volume is great if if you're you know depending on your budget you know but if you can't build a whole village or whatever like or you know it just just depends on your budget i i think i think the volume's great and you know it's it's it should continue it's better than a green screen people shit on it but i loved the first season of the mandalorian and i agree i agree with people's gripes about it now because it's like it's just like cgi when it lifted off is that if you overuse something and you don't integrate it into traditional film techniques, it's going to be obvious and terrible. Uh, that was a weird offshoot. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming that we're going to move on to yeah. everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And if that is the case, I'm going to jump out and get another beer. Yeah, yeah go for it. Oh, that's some. That was a crisp crack there. Crack. Blow the dust off. So everywhere, every everything. Oh, Jesus Christ! Everything, everywhere, all at once. 
uh, is a super long title and uh, it fits in with the kind of, you know, absurdist nature of, of this movie. This is an A24 film. Uh, this was directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Schneinert. They're just known as Daniels. Uh, yes. They directed um, Swiss Army Man, which is a terrific film. Oh, we have never talked about that, you and me. No, we haven't. It's so I, good. We were, tell, we were telling that film. We were telling John that he he needs to see it because he he'd never seen. If if that had come out while we were in college, oh man. We, uh, so I don't know if it was before we were recording or not, but we were talking about seminal films that we all just reference all the time. Yeah. If if Swiss Harmony Man had come out while that. we were in college, yeah. Holy shit, that is something that we would talk about all the time and reference all the time. Yeah. I, I, I I love Swiss Army. I mean, Man. it's got Harry Potter and uh, and Paul uh, Dano and Paul Dano, who I can't think of a character that is specific to him, but like Paul Dano was in a lot of films when we were in college. Like, oh yeah, yeah. And Paul Dano, uh, we the last time we talked about this was when we were talking about the Batman because we were talking about how good Paul Dano the is. Riddler, yeah. And uh, and it's just like Paul Dano is terrific in everything. Like, there's no movie where you'd be like, ah, kind of kind of half-ass performance there. Like, he doesn't half-ass anything. Yeah. Um. So I bet, I bet, I bet his grass, if he mows his own grass, I bet it's perfect. <laughs> it's just so, I, I imagine, I imagine when he, when he mows his grass, he just, he just makes weird noises and screams high pitched. <laughs> Cause that's, that's what he the likes to do. Time. Yeah. Um, Paul Dano is not in this film, although I wish, <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I wish he had been. <laughs> So this this movie, so I rented this movie on iTunes. It is still in theaters in some places, but it's it's disappearing quick. It stuck around, I think, probably longer than any of their films has. Yeah. Just word of mouth on like this oh, yeah. movie is such an example of word of mouth. It's yeah. ridiculous. Like that is, if anybody ever thinks that like marketing is everything, it's it's really not. Yeah, I mean, like marketing, I, I will forever praise. Yeah. People who work in marketing, because I do believe like those are those are genius level people. But it can't be everything. And this is an example of it. Right. And like especially if you and it's good for studios to at least have an example to go, well, we don't have to rely on cynical marketing. We can you know, we can just rely on word of mouth. It's the the movie's good enough. It's 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 nice and uplifting and, and idealistic when stuff like that happens. And in this case, it, it it got them, you know, four times their budget in box office. Um, but I was seeing that I was hearing both from critics that this was interesting. And then I was just seeing like, you know, rot, like Rotten Tomatoes, like targeted audience ads score. on yeah, audience scores oh, on like man. social media. And it's just like, check it out. It's great. And I'm like, OK, so it was just in my consciousness. And then um, and then I decided eventually that I wanted to see it. Um so everything everywhere all at once is, uh, you know, it's about, it's about a, a, a Chinese American woman, Evelyn played by Michelle Yeoh. She runs this laundromat with her husband, uh, Waymond, which I thought for a second was like, I thought the subtitle was being like, like bigoted. <laughs> Cause I was like, Waymond, it's okay. It's Raymond. Like, come on. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no, it's just, I just, it was just, the first few times I said his name, I was like, is it Raymond though? I had like Google it and I was like, no, it's, it's Wayman. Oh, I guess I'm being big. <laughs> like, <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't remember that as that 
that was his name. Honestly, I think everybody that goes and sees it has this like heartwarming thing where they're like, "Oh my God, Dad is back!" Uh, or uh, or short round kind short of thing. Round, like, yeah. Uh, Ki Ki Hui Kwan uh, is his name, and yeah. he hasn't done films since the early nineties. He hasn't done like a yeah yeah I think so something something insane a long time like thirty years. Yeah, um, that's the heartwarming story of the film for me. Is that yeah. Well, and the heartwarming thing for me, like I, I, I like Michelle Yeoh, but I have not seen most of her films, but you know, she's had one of those careers where it's like, I have mad respect for her, but if you were to like pull up her filmography, I'd be like, yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Like I, you know, um, super cop through to no. Okay. There's a film series with Jackie Chan in it where the third iteration in the film is called super cop. Is it police story or something? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So there, one of the films is called super cop and the sequel to super cop, which is the fourth film in, in the police story <laughs> series. This is uh, super confusing is uh, Michelle Yeoh is the co-star with Jackie Chan in that film. Okay. And she's fantastic in it. And I mean, Jackie Chan is also fantastic in it. Super cop two, I think is what it's called. Mm. But if you try to find it, it might be under like police story five or some shit. Super cop too. Basically um, she is a crossover star um, from the Chinese market that has gotten a good, you know, she's gotten her due in the American market, but she's very, very big in the Chinese market. Well, and so it's funny you mentioned Jack and Chan, Jackie Chan. This was originally written for him. Did you know that? Yeah, I this when that. this script was originally developed, this was as far back as 2010 uh, was when they were when they were trying to figure out, you know, they want to do something with the multiverse. And then I think they didn't really start writing. I didn't. Yeah. And I don't think they wanted to start writing. The, I don't think they started writing the movie until 2016. But uh, so but they reworked it for Michelle Yeoh. But it was originally written for Jackie Chan. So when you watch the movie through that lens, it makes a little more sense why her character like we talk about, you know, in the Northman, like the absence of jokes, like she cracks jokes, but like, but they're very, I don't want to say stereotypical, but like they're, they're, you know, like I'm too, too busy to help you, you know, like, you know, a few, a few ways that she is that are, that are may seem like tired stereotypes, but they're also like cultural staples of the Chinese American experience. Like Mm -hmm. her, you know, her, her, her obsession with her, her job and you know this element of taking care of her father and worrying about her daughter and stuff like yeah expectations like, for her daughter's e- lifestyle and everything yeah, yeah expect you know just the, the family dynamic is very it's it is it is very um immigrant reminiscent and uh yeah. and so when i heard about the jackie chan element i thought back about like the movie like oh if this had started it would have been great and for the same reasons um you know and there's and so the, the, the one main staple of that idea is the fact that, you know, in a couple of these other universes, um, this is, you know, this person is an actor or a singer or a martial artist to some extent. And so those are, you know, obviously pull on Jackie Chan's yeah. main shared, talents. Shared, as, yeah. yeah. Shared talents between. The right. Two so it makes total sense. Like, well, if it's not gonna be Jackie Chan and if we're going to, you know, make it a female, it ought to be Michelle Yeoh. That's, that's, that's the next you know, obvious choice probably. And, and with the relationship with the daughter being the main crux of the film, which mm-hmm. we haven't talked about. Um, 
But I think that actually makes for a stronger story. It's, it's way stronger with a mother daughter yeah. than yeah. it would have been for even for father son. Like, oh, you know, I just, you know, I just need to talk to my son, and and the multiverse won't collapse. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's it's a little, it's just a little more interesting when it's. Yeah. And, you know, it certainly passes the Bechtel test if the if the movie is, you know, heavily features two women talking and they're not talking about men, um, you yeah. know, and it also makes the divorce element a little bit different. You know, like the, in, in, in the movie, like, you know, a lot a lot is happening. This woman is being audited by the IRS, um, Jamie <laughs> by Jamie Lee Curtis at the IRS. And at the same time, she is made aware very quickly and recruited, you know, a la The Matrix to this concept of okay there's a multiverse there are a bunch of different yous and other universes and there's a threat to the multiverse by this jobu tupaki person um and we believe that you're the key to to stopping her and and to stopping this person and saving the multiverse and she's like what like i'm just a you know i'm just a regular person and And then meanwhile this is being revealed to her in a closet inside of the IRS building. Right. And, 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 you know, and then in the midst of all this, like she's trying to, you know, not get this and not have this audit go down the wrong way. Her daughter is a, is a lesbian and she's sort of, she's kind of dealing with that and trying to take care of her father who is now widowed and has to come live with her and and he's ill um, or he's in poor health. And her husband is sort of very meekly, but firmly trying to serve her divorce papers um, in the nicest way possible that divorce papers have probably ever been served um, to anyone. And like, I mean, I delivered mine pretty. pretty. (laughs) (laughs) I was very cordial about that. That's very nice. Yeah. But like he but like he's just sort of like, oh, yeah, don't don't forget to take care of your father. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be at the IRS meeting, by the way. Also, here's these papers, you know, (laughs) she's like, and when she finally gets him, she's like, you want to divorce me? And he's like, well, yeah, you're not happy. Right. Like, Like, exactly. Yeah. It was like, it was the strangest thing. Um, but like, uh, so there's a lot going on. Um, and so I think the main appeal for the movie for me is Michelle Yeoh. She is very good in this movie. A lot of people are calling this a career best for her. But she is playing a range of of dynamics and emotions, uh, and then not to mention her, her just the physical commitment to this role. Um, you know, you're taking this character through this huge journey of of just being constantly overwhelmed and trying not to drown in the obligations of her life and the problems that need her immediate attention. Uh, you know, to the end of the film where this character has found some semblance of balance. Um, it, it's, it's right there in her performance. Um, and it's, uh, and and the emotional beats work. Um, not everything about the movie works for me. Uh, but, but Michelle Yeoh's casting and and her performance is definitely like the linchpin of the whole thing for me. You're talking, as far as her performance goes, one of the things that I think multiverse, which actually, if I can backtrack a little bit, the multiverse, this is coming out in an, an era of films where that's a gimmick that is being applied to, you know, Marvel films. Um, geez, what's another one that's done it? Oh, uh, I mean, the, the DCCW movies have or shows done it, you know. So it, it's, it seems like a trope that's like, oh, God, another multiverse, yeah. multiverse film. But based on what you're saying. It's so this hot was, right now. It's so hot right now. That <laughs> Hansel. Um, 
if it was scripted in 2010. Uh, sorry, and- that's a funny joke because Owen Wilson is in a television show about the multiverse, <laughs> Loki. <laughs> Wait, Owen Wilson was in Loki? Yeah, Owen Wilson it. is. Yeah, he. It's. It, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he's. Yeah, he's. Um, he's one of the the TVA agents that like you know they clip the branches of to keep the multiverse from happening. They they clip branches to keep the prime timeline protected. And he's like an agent of that. So oh that damn Hansel is so hot right he's now. So hot right he's now. so hot right now. And now, and now, and now. Because <laughs> he's controlling it. So if it was, if it was scripted in 2010, honestly, it's ahead of its time. Because when did, I honestly think um, uh, Into the Spider-Verse is what kicked this off. It's obviously been a, a big thing in comics for a long time. Yeah, but yeah, in yeah. film, not so much. Like, uh, so Into the Spider-Verse came out in what, 2015? 20, <sighs> I think it was 20, I think it was 20, I think it was 2018. Let me find out. Well, point is, if this was scripted when you said it was, and it was in development as early as you said it was. 2018. This is kind of, not a precursor, obviously, because it came out in 2022 or 2021? 2022. Um, in the U.S. But it's, it's when watching it, it's very evident that it's doing its own thing. It, you could be under the assumption that it's running with a trend that's happening. Sure. But when you when you watch it, you're like, nobody's handling it this way. Well, unlike some of these other films, you know, that that have the multiverse in their plot, this film, this story can't exist without the multiverse. This 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 movie Yes. It's it, not introducing it, a multiverse into something that already exists to exist. Yeah, like it. the multiverse is is what allows this protagonist to find the key to, you know, yeah. to solving her problems. Whereas you know, Doctor Strange has existing problems as well that he, I mean, you know, obviously also uses the multiverse, but like it's in much more of a plotty way and not yeah. and less, less into a character way. Yeah. Like the way the multiverse works in this movie is unique to this movie. And in, in Doctor Strange, like he goes to different universes. He does a couple of things, but in this movie, like, Evelyn uses the multiverse to gain skills, you know, and, 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 and to, and to, and to gain insight into the people in her life. Yeah. That doesn't happen in these other movies. And in Dr. Strange, it literally feels like this is a way for us to put him into a world where consequences aren't as big of a deal because he, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't live here. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) They uh, come, they eat, they leave. (laughs) The main crux of why I brought that, you know, up is that, you were talking about Michelle Yeoh's performance and, and all that stuff. What I think the multiverse does give to an actor is an ability to to mix it up mm-hmm. and to make a multifaceted character out of someone purely from showing them in, in novel, unique circumstances that don't pertain to the central core character kind of thing. And the fact that her character can retain all that and basically at the end, I think you're, you're, you're relating it to the Matrix was pretty good because... At the end, she's basically able to fold all of those characters into mm-hmm. herself because she's controlled her ability and yeah. and, you know, pulling from all these multiverses kind of thing. So her yes, her performance is great. Her her character growth is is amazing. And there's so many beats of comedy in it that like don't feel shoehorned in a, uh, a formulaic way, like I was mentioning before for, you know, uh making your jotless checklist of things that need to be in a film and 
all this stuff and um uh i've lost my train of thought and i defer to you well so i'll i'll talk about a few things that i that that bumped me a little bit you know but they're also not that fair because like some of it was the action choreography like some of it where it's like okay a little too stylized or you know like very clearly you know just not quite my style like there's some she's at one point she's like twirling a chair or a shield or something and they all like hit the shield at once and like did no none of them thought to like strike her leg like try to break her leg while everyone else is going up top like why don't we just hit her leg because it's a movie and it's and it's styled a specific way so that the 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 action just happened to not be my bag but that's because i love john wick and like the raid where like every single beat of an action sequence is super logical and you go oh that's yeah. that's probably the best way to attack that person i agree this is unique and different and this is a little more like conventional with elements of the action um but the action isn't i mean it's part of like the the entertainment value but i i would almost say like the action isn't necessarily like it's not the point what you're coming to this movie to see yeah it's so much more character driven and the, the character relationship between her, her and her daughter yeah that the action is the set dressing but when you, it, it, i love the raid uh mm-hmm. so much yeah. uh, and and in dread for related reasons because it's basically a remake with uh, judge dread in it but um those are yeah. so much about the action and it's all about like what they're trying to do. So I, mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. And if I was talking about the action, um, I uh, where I felt the budget at play mm-hmm. was location. Um, well, yes, yeah. So it all the whole thing takes place in the, the IRS building. Whole thing <laughs> takes place in a very drab, yeah, um, office building. Yeah, and it does lead to a lot of like fun stuff. Like it, you know, we were talking about Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh, you know, coming from the background that they came in. Yeah, and a lot of that is about the fun that you know that the uh, the physical performer has with a mundane scenario or using. Yeah using props mundane props yeah yeah it's one of the best things about you know watching, yeah. watching jackie chan films is seeing what he can oh, do god with- I, I love it so much i was telling dustin like with last time we talked about jackie chan i was like just to watch him like you know try to like like kick someone's ass with like a couple of open staplers or yeah, like yeah or, you know or, or smash his hand to get something blow on it and kind of you know wiggle her <gasps> when, when he reacts to like he yeah fucked something up. yeah and, um, then he, and then he dives through a ladder you know, or something. Uh, I, I'm thinking of Rumble in the Bronx is on is honestly my favorite film of his. But uh, another he's not another, in this film, another so gonna, great TBS movie, by the way. Like Rumble oh, in the watching Bronx, watching a, a dub uh, of Rumble in the Bronx. Yeah, and, uh, watching Rumble in the Bronx. I did get uh, location fatigue for yes. sure in the yeah. movie. Um, the the thing that they do to counteract that is essentially to up the ante mm-hmm. the further you go into the film. So by the time you're in the climax, mm-hmm. it's still happening in the lobby of yeah. a of an office building, but there's so much absolutely batshit crazy yeah. stuff going on that yeah. you kind of forget that's where you are. Yes. Um, and it becomes sort of a, a blank slate for what is happening inside of it. Yeah. So, but there were times where I'm like, I did feel the budget of the film in the sense that like we're in another cubicle room um you know this guy may have just vaulted onto something that you know a trophy that went up his butthole or what, what was it that that the <laughs> well, guy 
Yeah, so it was like an auditor. It was like auditor of the month. Tr- yeah, trophy. Which for he, some reason was shaped like a butt plug. And it, and it went up as butt. Like, so crazy stuff is happening. Yeah. And you're laughing, but you're like, you're like, I still, we're still in this it, fucking building. It's so, and, and, and part of me, <laughs> and we're still in this building. Like, that's where your mind goes. Like, that thing is up as butt. Also, we're still in the same building. <laughs> So in the grand scheme of things, like when I was watching the film, I didn't think that. But like in hindsight, I'm like, (laughs) with the multiverse as an option, you don't get as many set uh, departures as you would expect. No, but you are definitely distracted by a fight scene where two guys have (laughs) trophies sticking out of their assholes. (laughs) And I honestly don't want to give context for it for, you know, in fact, that whole fight scene, I was like staring at the one guy who had the trophy and I was, cause I was critiquing the prosthetic. I was like, there's no way they're going to make this look convincing, but like it dangles. It was rigid. Yeah, it was rigid. And then it had a little bit of flap around. Like it was just adhered to the pants. No, it didn't look like a, it didn't look like rubber. I was like, wow, they did a good job with that. That actually put it on his body. Yeah, uh, you know, it was it was very uh, interesting. But at the same time, you talk about, the, you know, where you can see the budget. They also did all these effects with like five people, you know, like where yeah. it would have taken normally like like a team of five dozen, you know, maybe to do all this stuff like they they just were really creative and resourceful with what they had, what they had at their disposal. Um and uh, it's 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 impressive to for them to make a movie and achieve a movie on this scale with so little. That's that's definitely one of the that's one of the like academic reasons to pay attention to this film because it's like look what they were able to do with just with twenty five million dollars. Look at the effects, you know, like yeah, we're constrained by the the location, but like uh, you know, the the biggest star in this movie uh, is is probably Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, what I mean, like like. And 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 she is dressed herself way down for this movie. Um, uh, they had to have been pros- prosthetic breasts, right? I, I I don't know. She's pretty well endowed. I don't know how real I, that. I how, mean, okay. I don't know how well. I don't know how. I don't know if that's her real like stomach or not. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is in better shape than this character is. I'm a little ashamed to admit that I watched the Halloween Kills uh, movie. Um, <laughs> she she did not look like this character in yeah, that film. No. I, they might um, they might have put her in a suit or something. I, I have to believe that she was in a a bodysuit of and, some and sort. You know, you know why I think that because they have her character like eating messily and like brushing crumbs off of her like belly. Uh-huh. I would think that Jamie Lee Curtis wouldn't agree to that <laughs> if that was her real body. Yeah. You know, like yeah. let's just let's just. She she's looking gangly as fuck in the in the Halloween Kills. Someone pointed this out, and I thought this was interesting. It is a big allegory for the internet. That's one way to look at it. Like the busyness, the immediacy, the the constantly vying for your attention in absurd and random and algorithmic ways, partially represented by a character like Jobu Tapaki, who it was again, it was pointed out like this person essentially represents like Gen Z um, with these crazy outfits and their and and her her appearance is constantly changing, much like that of like a TikTok algorithm. Um and the underlying existential dread of the of of the use of such a thing, um, and an older person's inability and unwillingness to engage to with that yeah. and to try to understand that and to 
reconcile with with that. I, it, it's it may not have been. I think I think the I think the directors did say like yeah. I mean to an extent it was it was heavily informed by a- attitudes about the internet. Well, but the, the thing about that is that if you're saying it's an allegory for that, I honestly think <laughs> that relationship of the internet is an allegory for uh, uh, young and old people. Like it's mm-hmm. almost like cyclical in that fact. It, the 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 movie story is an older generation not being able to to uh, equate and relate to a younger generation. And if you're saying that it's about the young generation on the internet. And the mm-hmm. old people not being able to relate to it, that literally just comes full circle back to it. I I, I think it's just generational, sure. uh, generational uh, um, uh, misalignment sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and what a lot of that relates to. And, you know, we're two white guys talking on a, on a podcast about this. I, I, I there's plenty, plenty of positive feedback from people who are like, this is the Asian American experience, like not yeah. just Chinese. It's it's a lot of folks are like. This is really what it's like to be a, a first or second generation Asian American, um, and I, I obviously I can't I won't speak to more it more of it than that. But basically, mm-hmm. people are like, "Holy shit, this movie is my life." My you know mother or my father not being able to relate to you know anything uh, I'm going through. Yes, because they have their experience from you know yeah. from for their, their country of origin. And this is my experience here as the, the, the foundation, the founding principles of, 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 of Asian countries and the United States is completely different, way different traditions founded on completely different principles. Yeah. You know, uh, the, you know, politically and, and, and ideolo- ideologically, but then just like the, the way that, the way that, that Asian, the first generation immigrants are used to growing up versus the way their children have grown up. Like it's, it's a completely different experience, but it also just feels like an accelerated and exaggerated form of just generational gap Yeah, for, for, yeah, across countries and ethnicities. Like I, you know, I've got plenty of qualms with, you know, my parents and stuff like that, but imagine that being ramped (laughs) up by literally not even growing up under the same circumstances. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's what I think has been so strong about this film is film is that I don't have that relation. Um, and I can watch this film and being like, I still think that the character stuff is really strong. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you had, imagine if you had the background where like, you're like having like, Oh God, this oh my is God. my life yeah, sort of thing. Too real. Um, <laughs> uh, and that is a lot of the reaction that I've seen, which lets me know that like, this was really, yeah. uh, well-founded and, um, uh, uh, just just pulled from experience. Um, even though the end product is this loud, bombastic, mm-hmm. complete, abstract clusterfuck of yeah. stuff. At times, overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, but then you go, yes, it's over at times overwhelming. But look mm-hmm. at the title of the film. Like yes, this this so I was this podcast I was listening to that brought about the internet comparison had said like, you know the film is you know is long and after with a film this long with that much happening at you it can feel overwhelming and exhausting by the end of it because the pace is so fast and there's so much being thrown at you that it it can it can be exhausting with this kind of length. You know, I don't know where I would trim 20 minutes from the movie, but it was a little long. Let's look at the runtime. Hold on. 
I got it up here. It's um, 140 minutes, so two two hours, 20 minutes. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, it, I, I probably would try to cut two hours out of it if I could, but at the same two time. Two hours? Sorry. <laughs> 20 minutes, maybe? An hour? I don't know why I said two <laughs> I was hours. like, 20 minute film. Wow. Um, but like, and, and this is something I definitely want to talk to talk to talk about because it's my crowning my crowning thoughts about the movie was was the the parts that i feel like most people would cut out are the parts i like surprised liked the most which was all these slow scenes of existential dread like the rock scene i loved that nobody would want to cut that i but like i that got the most laughs in the in the screening that i was at even the but not even the laughs like i was watching i was like oh my god they're right i was like having a moment i was like they're like they're like look the whole point of this universe is just sit there and be a rock i was like oh fuck this is this is like buddhist as shit you know (laughs) okay but uh, uh, I, I honestly don't think anybody would want to cut that. But if I can speak but to it the was strength, brilliant. If I, I can speak it. to the strength of that, and you, you're literally doing that right now, yeah, that's rocks with fucking fish line attached to them, <laughs> and that's how strong something can be if it's that well founded. Yeah, and 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 uh, like the fact that the marketing of the film was all about sticking googly eyes onto things. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 almost like someone did the most batshit crazy thing that they could, knowing that they had you know confidence in it, and then it's almost like you don't have to like formulaically plan things to a T, and some shit can literally just stand on the strengths of its own bizarrity, bizarreness, and spontaneity. Mm-hmm. And um, so you know, I, I I live in Austin. Mm-hmm. And the Draft House is really big here. It's getting bigger in other places. Um, one of the best things about Draft House is that they do prop up these types of films. So um, this was a known entity to me, like pretty early, well before it was out, kind of thing. Well, this because, debuted at South by Southwest in Austin. Okay, yeah, that 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 is to my point. I didn't know that, but also yeah. it kind of lines up. Like there is a certain element of of pushing on these types of things, types of films from the Alamo draft house that I kind of take for granted. So like word of mouth spread kind of thing is, is really, really beneficial and consequential for the success of the film. But like I live in the small bubble where this was a known thing and I wanted to see this movie as soon as I saw it being uh, previewed. But I bet you the back end word of mouth stuff after the release date of this film was where the bulk of the money came from maybe i don't know that's just my guess because there was so much viral marketing for it after people were talking about it i loved watching something where i go no person in their right mind uh in a a fucking studio exec room where someone said we have a five to ten minute scene that's just two rocks with googly eyes on them turning and looking at each other at like the lip of the, I, I, I'm thinking it was the Grand Canyon, probably some, some Canyon, some Canyon. Yeah. And it's all subtitled and it's all extremely existential mm-hmm. and anybody going, yes, let's go for that. And expecting mass appeal. Like it, I don't right. know. I no. love underdog yeah. stories and everything about this film scratches that itch. That's the thing. Like, so it goes back to my, my, my two kinds of my two basic kinds of films argument. Like you either have something with mass appeal that 
everyone will enjoy, but no one will like, this sounds harsh. Nobody will respect it. Nobody (laughs) will think about it too long. Yeah. Like we all know people who everyone tends to enjoy being around, but I wonder if it's miserable being that person after a while because they're just, they're hitting it. They're checking everyone's boxes and people it's got it's got to be look i'm a fucking people pleaser like like so much of the shit i do and have done and 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 then remembered for by my friends was probably done in the service of 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 gaining someone's approval and i'm sure it has something to do with like my mom or something but like <laughs> you know like <laughs> at least she ain't nicole kidman trying to stab you <laughs> yeah um but like uh there's something to be said about the other kind of film which is Look, this may not be for everybody, but it's going to be more fulfilling for the people who are making it. Yeah. Um, there's going to be there's going to be people who love it and get much more out of it than they would out of, you know, one of the, you know, one of the Marvel films or other, you know, or the John Wick films. It's the same with all kinds of art, like even podcasting, like the whole point of audio and of podcasting is Find it's supposed audience. to feel personal. Yeah. It's supposed to be niche and, you know, fuck, maybe this show is too niche, <laughs> AKA small, <laughs> but like, but the idea being like, if you listen to a podcast, you really enjoy, then you're the audience. Like th- th- it, it's, it's for you. It feels personal to you. And the more mass appeal it has, the more commercials it has, the more guests it has that are on every other podcast, the more it feels like this big thing that's meant to reach a broad audience that has its upsides from a business sense, but like as a listener, you might feel less connected to that product as time goes on. Yeah. And so it's the same with all kinds of art. Like it's just, it's, it's, I, I always say on this show, like it's one of the weirdest business models there is. And I was talking to Dustin the other day about it. Like when it came to like actors, like actors, even like ideally you just, you, you just act in the things you want to act in. You take the projects that appeal to you the most and you don't you turn down the ones that you just aren't thrilled about but because of the economics of well i i have to work i have to pay my bills and feed my family and i want to have a i don't want to just spend my whole life as a waiter who only acts in things that speak to me you know i want to like make a living and have a family and be able to travel and have health insurance so i'm going to take some projects in some big dumb action shit that um you know, or some fucking vampire movie that people will make fun of me for, for 10 years. And so then I have to go do a bunch of David Cronenberg movies and then be Batman one day, just so people respect me again. Yeah. Like it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's the, it's the weirdest business model. The, 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 the smart thing to do business wise is to take the work and, and, and follow the scarcity mentality of if I'm being offered a part, who am I to turn it down? Like what kind of asshole am I to turn down the opportunity to work? And at some point in your life, regardless of your job, you go, yeah, but what is my time worth? And what the fuck am I doing? Like, like I'm going to die one day. Like, do I want to be doing this with my time just for money? And sorry, this is me like, like expressing a weird realization and my own existential dread along with what, what's good about movies like this is even though everything everywhere all at once, I wouldn't, I would rather watch a handful of other genre films again before I watched this again, it still impacts me because movies like this can reach a much smaller audience than 
like, I don't know, let's just say the Avengers 2, just to be fair to see something. Okay. Dude, Age of Ultron so, of all fucking movies. Well, well, I, I, well like, I, like I, I'm saying that because I love Infinity War and Endgame, and even Endgame has a lot of, like, deep themes for me that are Oh, you're talking about something that's, like, a lower achiever. Lower achiever, like, yeah. you know, people, you know, or, okay, fine, the, the, the first Avengers film, which most people like, um, like, mass appeal. Um, large audience, most people who have seen it would go, yeah, love it. It's great. And less people have seen this movie and even less people than that love this movie. But the people who love it, love it so much more than the people who love the event, who love Avengers one. And they'll love this movie much more still 20 years from now than those other people will love Avengers one Yeah, because Avengers one for as pleasing as it is as well executed of a movie as it is for what its goals are there is nothing emotionally deep and resonant in that movie to the level that it that that works for people who who watch yeah. and love this it, movie it, it's like, still a film by and, unless you are somehow psychologically damaged to where only seeing thor on screen Give can make you feel like your parents <laughs> love you yeah <laughs> um you know so, what i mean like so, like and this what is I, this is from someone who loves Marvel movies. Like I I love Tony Stark. Like there's a pl- there's plenty of like themes in these characters that are for me. But those are not things that will last as much because those are archetypes I identify with, yeah. not specific feelings I have also had like the rock scene in this movie or any number of other things like I could be yes, th- this movie is about choices and Despite the choices I have made or not made and the places I have been or haven't been or the lives I didn't live or wanted to live and failed. That's what we started talking about before we even. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes it comes together, man. Like like the idea that of her saying to her daughter, like, there's still nowhere I'd rather be than here with you. Like, that's 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 some. That's some f- philosophical shit, man. So my uh, addition on top of that, when we're talking about like appeal and, you know, everything about like if I if I treat it a bit more clinical as far as like the people who made the film, the industry that they're in and everything like that. You were talking about uh, the prop or sorry, the budget of the film and everything like that. What I would hope from this is that like. You've got uh, mass appeal. We're talking about mass appeal next to niche sort of stuff. Um, this is a breakout from the niche in terms of how much it profited mm-hmm. compared to its budget. Yeah. And this is one of the instances where like you want to talk about you know, mass market appeal and how like the themes in this one are. I don't even think they're nuanced. I honestly think like nuance in film to where we are at right now in filmmaking is mm-hmm. like, does it does it hit you over the head with a fucking giant club yeah. or does it just poke you directly in the face? Like that's how, <laughs> that's how subtle I think yeah. we are as, as a filmmaking uh, entity now. And um, when it comes to something like this, where there, there's a relatively low budget, this is, I would assume this was a high budget for an A24 film. Um, and I, if I think about the creator side of thing, I just really hope that it shows that, if you have a small crew with a small budget and you profit wildly from it mm-hmm. in relation to that, it doesn't matter how it stacks up to a, you know, an Avengers film is what you're, you, you know, you were rolling with. Yeah. Um, this is a raving success. 
in relation to what it is. And I'm, you know, I hope the creators got paid, you know, well enough. I hope there were plenty of bonuses for the folks involved and everything like that. Yeah. Um, And it just kind of goes to show that like, yes, I bet you, I bet you more people saw, you know, this new Thor movie that came out that I think was a steaming pile of shit. Um, (laughs) And I loved Ragnarok and I thought this new Thor movie is a steaming pile of shit. I bet you way more people saw this Thor Thor movie and, you know, box office draw was a lot bigger and everything like that. But the people who were involved in making this film probably feel a hell of a lot more fulfilled. I'm hoping that related or relative to their profitability margins and shit like that, that they exceeded their expectations. And um, I think the only way for these specific types of uh, uh, like weird, weird genre shit that this is only can happen when there is that flexibility and the lack of needing to appeal to a mass market. And we were talking about the dichotomy of, you know, the whole actually conversation tonight has been about uh, uh, audience appeal, profitability margin, studio, indie, blah, 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 this sort of thing. And like, I am of the opinion and I think you are as well is that there's, there's room for everything. Yeah. And there are times where I want to go watch something real big, dumb and stupid and boisterous yeah. and straightforward <laughs> and straightforward. And I don't have to think too hard. And I yeah. literally get to go. My eyeballs are super pleased by this. Mm-hmm. And then there are things where I'm like, I want to sit and watch two rocks mm-hmm. talking to each other at the lip of a fucking canyon about some shit that like you think about while you're like falling asleep and can't get to, to sleep yeah. because your brain is thinking about this existential dread shit. And nobody puts that to film very often. No. And that's sometimes like the stuff you only get from like reading books. And it's like, I, I do, I, I do enjoy movies that make me, that make my brain feel like similar to book. that feeling of where I've read a thought provoking book. It's yeah. like the TV shows have the potential to do that. You can explore ideas a lot slower and change can be a lot more gradual and movies are inherently um, handicapped in that scenario because they have two hours to to introduce characters, motivation, situations, progression, resolution to you. Um, and so it has to distill a lot of stuff down to its basic elements. And so it takes a lot of creativity and nuance and, you know, a studio that trusts a creator for a movie to be made that can deliver that to you and give you that feeling um, yeah. without along the way, somebody making it dumber, bigger, more straightforward and less like whatever the idea was in its infancy. Yeah. Um, and and dumb is a relative term because sure. some of the things that felt, uh, some of the things that felt, uh, profound in this film mm-hmm. occurred during the dumbest sequences. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the raccoon stuff was like, <laughs> This is the dumbest shit in the film. It was so dumb. With, but, a, with a horrible fake raccoon kind yeah. of thing. And like, it was all the better for it. And but then, but then they, then they, then they hauled away in a cage and there's like this <laughs> overwhelming sadness. And I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's so like, he's like, it's like raccoon. I'm sorry. I can't, yeah. I can't run fast enough. And he's like, don't leave me. I was like, God. oh my God. <laughs> I, I just love that absurdity got mm. its uh got its due yes <laughs> absurdity doesn't tend to get its due anymore yeah it, and, and again like the or the hot dog fingers like it's it starts off as this gimmick and then like 
no, we're going to commit to this and we're going oh to. Oh my God. Oh gonna my ha- God. We're going to have these short films of yes. Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. and, and Michelle Yeoh with hot dog fingers. Yeah. I was like, I was like, this is the love story. I didn't know. We needed. Yeah, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was very, I was very surprised. I was like, oh my God, like I'm invested in this as well. What else? Yeah, we like have? we do a hard cut to them yeah. in like the, 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 the death crop. Uh, what do you call it? The death throes of their relationship and you're yeah. like like i didn't even get the fucking backstory and yeah. i'm like what's happening no i love ap- each other some people didn't like this but i even appreciated the shot of like just so we're clear people have fingers like this because <laughs> the people with regular hands were beaten to death and didn't get to pass along their dna yeah, the evolution <laughs> argument for why they have hot dog fingers <laughs> it's just a and, and of- all that's okay yes it may be a two hour and what did you say two hour and 220 it may be a two hour and 20 minutes, but that's a lot of shit to cram in at two hours and 20 minutes. It's, it's so. a lot. It's a, it's, it's a yeah. lot, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, for sure. Yeah. I don't even know what star rating I would give it probably three and a half. I mean, it's, it's certainly, I wanted to watch it again before my rental period ran out and I couldn't. So I would give it a four as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the same as the Northman. Yeah. Um, I would watch it again. I'm not super excited to do it super soon. I honestly think it was another situation where like I loved going to see that with a couple of friends mm-hmm. and like, you know, pop into the bar afterwards uh, outside the theater and talking about it and like laughing about shit and stuff like that. It's definitely something I think benefited from being in the theater watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but high recommendation. Um, I don't give I wouldn't give a four and a half or a five star, you know, to many films these days. Yeah. Yeah, nothing really, you know, knocks my socks off just because I'm a horribly jaded piece of shit. But um, well, well, the me, me as well. Like I, I, I got in a fight with my wife earlier tonight because I didn't like some things she showed me on TikTok, and I was like, "That's a lot of pressure, man. You don't show someone to TikTok and expect them to be like, oh, you sure?'" <laughs> well, it was, it, it was overwhelmingly positive with the thing I was watching, but I was just set off by it. I was like, God, like. Can we just, I don't know, just, you know, whatever, 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 like cynical, like, you know, straw that broke the camel's back, you know, is occurring that day. It's like, forgot. Okay, great. Like, whatever it was about, like, body positivity. Can interaction not be about TikTok, please? I was like, like, come on now. I I don't know. And then it it turned to this whole thing. But like, the same thing. She said, like, you're a crotchety old man. I was like, (laughs) yeah, I am. I mean, you know, I'm just... Me and Kellen are gonna sit on a, a virtual porch later and scream, oh, at, scream at the neighbor kids. I got my beer. Well, you know, but the thing is, I liked both these films, so I'm not screaming at any neighbor kids except for uh, the ones who aren't making films like this. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> get get out there, and make something in your lives. Yeah, do something fucking. It's like that guy you show me. Go be weird. Okay. Oh yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. What's <laughs> like, his name on Instagram? If I could give yeah. any filmmakers, yeah, a suggestion is. Uh, you can just do things. Yeah. Go be uh, weird. I don't know if you know this, but you know, if you don't want to do something, you don't have to do it. And if you, you, know, if you do want to do something, you just go do it. Go do it. Be weird. <laughs> okay. Bye. Like, I honestly wish we lived in a society where someone said, you want to go be weird? Yeah. Here's some money. And I'm going to take the risk on it. <laughs> what's, like, what's the uh, Austin city motto? Keep Austin weird. I think it's keep Austin weird. Yeah. Keep Austin weird is that's not a thing. Now it's a uh, uh, bring all the tech bros. Yeah. Expand Austin. Bring to all the, <laughs> the the tech bros and NFT bros and uh, uh, inflate rent to the point where 
I work in a really good job and I can't afford to live here anymore. <laughs> exactly. That's the Austin motto now. Austin's oh not God. weird. Austin is Austin uh, is mainstream. <laughs> that, that's some highly specific Austin shade to throw into this podcast. It's just for the Austin listeners there. Well, that was fun, Kellen. Um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. So hopefully the next time we sit down, we'll be talking about Prey, um, which is, a again, a, not like these movies at all. Much more straightforward, just a well-executed, straightforward movie um, that has a lot of things going for it that we'll talk about. All righty then. Well, toodles, everybody. All right. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. <laughs>